Pastor Xavier Reese, detailing the simple truths about the mission of Jesus. He proclaimed victory of soul. It is finished. This truly was not a defeated man. It was a cry of victory, ladies and gentlemen. The phrase, it is finished, is one word in the Greek, and it means the completion of something as a set goal and is effective continually on an ongoing basis to all sinners that call on His name. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. It sure seems like we're preoccupied with trying to find ourselves or discover our purpose in life. In fact, you can find many books and blogs on the topic or even attend a seminar or two discussing the subject. But there was at least one person who, without the benefit of our books and seminars, lived up to his complete calling and mission. Here's Pastor Xavier to tell us more in a Simple Truths message aptly titled, Mission Accomplished. Let's listen. A little girl has saved up enough money to buy her dad a Father's Day present. But she was concerned about one thing, and she said to her mom, I I can't be going downtown every month to make a payment. And she said, Mom, is there a store where I can pay the whole thing off at once? (laughs) That's exactly what the Bible says Jesus did for you and I. He paid my full account at once. No payment plan, no nothing. One-shot deal. One put it this way, "'Tis finished," was his latest voice. The sacred ascents o'er. He bowed his head, gave up the ghost. "'Tis finished." The Messiah dies for sins, but not his own. The great redemption is complete, and Satan's power is overthrown. The sixth saying of Jesus from the cross regards his mission, which is described by three things here in verse 29 and 30, which I will include. Let me read our text for us. It says, Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. The sixth saying is described by three things here. We have the finished act of the soldiers in verse 29. We have the finished work of Jesus in the first half of 30. And the faithful servant Jesus, the remainder of 30. It begins with the final act of the soldiers. It says, now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they fill a sponge with sour wine, put it the hyssop with sour wine, and put it to his mouth. Now, the soldiers were witnesses, as you know, to the entire ordeal of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They um, had seen Jesus get scourged with the cat of nine tails, with lead, bone, glass, which would be a horrific punishment to the body. Forty lashes were the number prescribed by law. To be merciful, it would be 40 minus one. 
those 39 stripes would be distributed, the first 13 to the right side of the back, sideways, then the left side, then straight from top to bottom, 39. Often, men and those under this type of punishment would die under the scourging. The um, punishment was to extract confession. And if there was an admission of guilt at any one of those stripes, of course, the next would be a little less in terms of intensity. Many times, men would confess to things that they did not do just to lessen the blow. It was a very common practice in the Roman Empire. The excruciating punishment of the body where it would tear the flesh and ligaments and muscle and even lungs would be exposed at times. Uh, most men would, would not survive it. They had seen the uh, mock trial and the crowning of Jesus that Luke tells us in, uh, in his gospel. The Praetorium Guard, the entire garrison partook of the mock trial. And they had a field day with Jesus. They clothe him with purple and crown him with thorns, we are told. How interesting that the thorns are the result of the curse from Adam, and he took our very curse of the earth upon his own head, which he will redeem one day. They saluted Jesus, hail, king of the Jews, in mockery. They struck Jesus on the head with the reed, spat on him, bowing their knee and worshiping him again in ridicule. Put Jesus' own clothes on him, led him away to the cross. Being God, he could have destroyed all of them, but he did not. Being man, he was destroying the work of the enemy in sin for the sake of others, not himself. The soldiers had witnessed the wrath of man and God upon Jesus also. The first three hours, as you know, Jesus uttered his first three sayings, focusing on others as the wrath of man was hurled on him by the people, the rulers and the soldiers themselves, even the thief on the cross who was hurling insults to him. He prayed that God would forgive his enemies in his first saying, Truly, this is a different man hanging on the cross. Most prisoners would be cursing. He assured the thief on the cross that he would be with him in paradise that very day. He entrusted the care of his mother to John in the third saying. Who is this guy on the cross? The last three hours, Jesus uttered his last four saying, focusing on himself as the wrath of God was poured out on him for the sins of the world. First, the wrath of man, then the wrath of his father. He cried out in agony over his interrupted fellowship with the father from all eternity. He expressed his horrible thirst, both physical, but more than physical, his spiritual thirst. He proclaimed victory of soul, it is finished. He joyfully dismissed his spirit to the Father. This truly was not a defeated man, but a victorious man. 
the second man from heaven, the last Adam. The soldiers, whether in further mockery or an act of pity, gave him sour wine and says here in verse 29, there was a vessel full of sour wine sitting there as a manner of the soldiers. They had seen many crucified. They had gone through this ritual many times. The sour wine was the common drink of the soldiers, and the sour wine is distinct from the drug wine mingled with myrrh, which was used to help the victims not to suffer so much. The one Jesus, by the way, refused earlier. He suffered the cross with full pain. They filled the sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it up to his mouth, it tells us. Matthew tells us that after the fourth saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? One ran up and gave him wine, while others thought he was calling for Elijah and declared to leave him alone and to see if Elijah would truly come to save him. Once again, in full mockery. The sour wine was to relieve his excruciating thirst of crucifixion described and prophesied in the scriptures. This form of death for Christ was no accident. It was prophetic. Psalm twenty-two, fifteen says, My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. They also gave him gall for my food, he says, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink, Psalm 69, 21, all prophetic. Now, when God speaks prophetically, he does not force people to fulfill that prophecy. He knows what men will do, so he declares what's going to happen before it happens, so when it happens, you know it's God who knows the end from the beginning. For if God would force somebody to do the evil that he decreed, then God would be responsible for the evil the person did. And God could not be good. He could not be holy. He would have to be the culprit for all sin. So he never violates man's free will. He just knows the free will of man. The hyssop was no coincidence. The first time hyssop is mentioned is the smearing of blood, as you know, on the doorposts and the lentil of the house in Egypt so that the angel of death might leap over the house and not touch the firstborn of the Jew in Exodus 12.22. The hyssop is identified with purifying rites with the Levitical service in the book of Leviticus, Numbers, and other portions. Now, the hyssop was a plant that sprung out of the wall the book of Kings in 1 Kings 4.33 indicates. Many conjectures have um, been formed as to what this plant really was, but it probably was the caper plant, they tell us, that grew in Egypt in the desert of Sinai in paradise or Palestine. And um, it was capable of producing a stem about four feet in length. It was no small plant. Hebrews 10, 7 says, In the volume of the book it is written of him to do God's will in order to make the way for sins to be forgiven. All of the Old Testament 
was prophetic of Christ. All was to be fulfilled by Christ. The hiss of being pressed to his lips would uh, mark him as the one who was incurring the wrath of God for the sins of the world. 1 John 2, 2, he says, and he is the propitiation, that which satisfied God's wrath, not for our sins alone, the believer, but the whole world also. You see, Jesus didn't die just for you who are saved. He died for the whole world, which is ungodly. I presume you qualify. David prayed in Psalm 51, 7, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. You know why whiter than snow? Because every snowflake is wrapped around a speck of dust. Every snowflake has a dirty heart. Sound familiar? <laughs> whiter than snow. When Moses took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, he sprinkled both the book and all the people in the Old Testament. Hebrews 9.19 tells us of the covenant. The final act of the soldiers was to fill the sponge of sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to the mouth of Jesus. Secondly, we have the finished work of Jesus. The first part of 30 says that when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said it is finished. The cry of Jesus was not a cry of defeat. Don't make this mistake. The wrath of God was past now. The cry was not a sign of being broken at this point. The cry was the affirmation of the propitiation for sins. The cry declared that the judgment of Satan had taken place. The cry of Jesus was also not a cry of, not of, of, of defeat, but it was a cry of relief from the physical pain. That didn't go away. It wasn't that either. Jesus was fully aware that he had to partake the cup of his baptism, as you know, the suffering of the cross. John, speaking to his disciples, pointed to Jesus. He said, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world, in John 1, 29. Every Jew understood when he said the Lamb of God. They saw a man bringing a lamb to the priest's examination, tying him to the poles, laying his hands on the head, transferring the sins, taking that knife himself, cutting his throat, blood going all over. The animal hit the ground. That sinless, pure animal died for me, took my place, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Jesus told James and John when they asked him for the right hand and the left hand in Mark 10, 38, and they said, in your glory. You see, the two wanted to sit on the right and the left hand of Jesus, thinking he was going to Jerusalem to knock off Rome and set up the kingdom. And then when the ten found out about the two, they got mad at the two. Why? Because the two beat the ten to it. The dirty dozen were not servants. They wanted to be served. And he said to them, do you know what you ask? Are you able to drink of the cup that I drink and the baptism with which I'm baptized with? And I can just see the two, James and John. Yeah, we can do it. 
Well, Lord, give me, allow me some liberty. Here we get to Jerusalem. Jesus knocks off Rome. Or he doesn't knock off Rome, but he's going to the crucifixion, right? So they try him, everything else, and instead of the two thieves on the cross, it's James and John. And they say to Jesus, Jesus! I, I've, he says, what did you have in mind? Jesus constantly told his disciples how he would be betrayed, mocked, and crucified in Jerusalem from the confession of Caesarea Philippi on. He never mentioned it without his resurrection. But the disciples never mentioned because they had the Jewish mind. We're going to set up the kingdom. A lot of the church today has that mentality. We're going to set up the kingdom. Jesus sets up the kingdom, not the church. The church apostate is building the kingdom. But Jesus sets up the kingdom, not us. If you're hopeless in this world getting better, you're not reading the right Bible. You're reading another Bible. Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane says, if it's possible, remove this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Jesus was more devastated by the broken fellowship with the Father than the physical pain. I am certain of. Not that... He did not experience pain, be it of the scourging or anything else. He bled. He suffered. In fact, he died, literally. The scriptures are very clear of the physical description of the suffering in Psalm 22, the agony, so detailed. No one can ever or will ever explain the mystery of the devastation of the pain along with the separation from the Father, it's unable to be comprehended to its full end because we've never experienced such fellowship. We've always been separated from God, now joined in Christ. The Son had never been separated from the Father, now for the first time He is. You and I are sinful. He is the epitome of holiness. We have no clue. All we can do is believe what God reveals in the Scriptures. The cry of Jesus was a cry of victory, ladies and gentlemen. The phrase that is finished is one word in the Greek, and it means the completion of something as a set goal, and it is in the perfect tense, completed. It was completed historically, prophetically, and is effective continually on an ongoing basis to all sinners that call on his name. The word was used of servants who accomplish their master's will. For a priest to declare the perfect sacrifice. For an artist painting a perfect picture from the human perspective. For a debt paid completely. It's used of Jesus when he terminated his parabolic teaching. Paul uses it having finished his course the race in 2 Timothy 4, 7 before he had his head removed. The word is used of Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished. In verse 28 of this chapter. Him being delivered by the determinate purpose and foreknowledge of God foreordained before the foundation of the world. Acts 2.23 tells us in 1 Peter 1.20. God from the beginning knew that Adam and Eve would fail. God from the beginning prepared the redemption from the foundations of the world. 
God did not cause the fall, as many teach today. Once again, he gives you free will, your abolition. He never violates your will. You have full reign of your life. You can turn those reins over to him to live the best way, or you can take those reins in your own hands and say to him, I think I can do a better job. Those are the only two choices. The prophecies of the Old Testament regarding the first coming were now all fulfilled as he's on the cross. He was born of a virgin. He was of the seed of David. The scriptures are filled with that from Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman. Of the seed of David, Romans 1.3, the promise to David in 2 Samuel 7. He was God incarnate according to Isaiah chapter 40 in Malachi. Matthew confirms it. John says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and God was the word. And verse 14 says, and the word became flesh, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Philippians 2, 5, on down, it says, being in the form of God, he didn't think it equal to be robbery with God, but he made himself of no reputation. And he emptied himself, not of his deity, but of his glory. And he was obedient to the death of the cross. For that reason, a name has been given to him above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not Allah, not Buddha, not Mary, not Peter, not the Pope, nobody but Jesus Christ. God is very, very close-minded, very narrow. God the Father is not politically correct. I hope you're not when it comes to the gospel. Born in Bethlehem, the very day that God had prophesied the Messiah entered Jerusalem riding on the cold donkey. Matthew 21, fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. Matthew 9.24, Daniel's prophecy. From the command that was given to Artaxerxes, May 14, 445 B.C., going forward. 483 years to the day, fulfilling the first 69 weeks of Daniel. Messiah. God had appointed that day. In fact, Luke 19, 42, Jesus cried out, weeping over Jerusalem. If you would have known this, thy day, your day, the things that were prepared for you, now they are hidden from your eyes. And he gave Israel up and pronounced doom upon Jerusalem. And in 70 AD, Titus came in and level the city, the temple. And the nation of Israel did not have a homeland for 2,000 years until 1948, fulfilling prophecy. Jesus was rejected, beaten beyond recognition, judged, condemned, and crucified according to the scriptures. Isaiah 53, Psalm 22. It's recorded in all the Gospels. It's a topic of every epistle. His death and resurrection, without it, there is no forgiveness of sins. His resurrection is the cornerstone. The payment was at the cross. The receipt for that payment was the resurrection. If there was no resurrection, then his death was like any other man. The joy that was set before him was that he would be reunited with the Father after redemption had been made. 
Pastor Xavier Reese with a simple reminder about why Jesus came to earth. And you can hear this study again anytime online if you like, simply by selecting today's date at the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But if you'd like your own personal copy of today's powerful message, you can ask for it by name. It's called Mission Accomplished, and you can request it on CD for just $4. And why not share it with someone else you know who'd appreciate hearing the simple truths about the finished work of Jesus on Good Friday? Once again, it's called Mission Accomplished. And here's how you can reach us. Write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. Are Christians free of the sting of death? Find out when you join Pastor Xavier Reese next time on Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California, www.calvarychapelpasadena.com.